The following presentation has been prepared by the Video Tax News team for Canadian tax and financial professionals. Program recorded October 25th, 2023. Enjoy! Welcome to the November issue of Life in the Tax Lane. And my goodness, it's starting to get cold out. I've got my big winter jacket. I'm ready to go and take it on. Hugh, how about you? Well, I find as soon as I get out my big winter jacket, the sun comes out and beats down on me in my car <laughs> and I cook. Welcome to Canada. If you don't like variety in your weather, you came to the wrong place. So when the weather goes nuts, maybe we're trying to get out of the heat or the cold, Joe. Mm. Yeah, that's right. You could do what these Revenue Quebec agents did. They went and visited a cabaret in Montreal. Now, the big question here is when they went to the actual cabaret, um, there was a sign at the door which said no entrance fee, but there was another sign right beside it that said tip in your discretion. So the question that they had in their minds, I'm sure this was their only question, was were they appropriately collecting QST or it could be GST or HST depending on where you are on these fees you had to pay when you get in. So they went there and there was this big bouncer at the door and they said, so is it really true that we don't have to pay an entrance fee? And the bouncer giggled and said, no, it's not free. I don't know if that's how he said it, but he said something like that. So they quickly recognized that, listen, this was actually something that was mandatory as an actual fee that you should have been charging for uh, the whole time. So, you know, a couple reminders here. One, watch out for giggling bouncers. Number two, um, what's number two? You know, I don't you know could what number be, two is. A, Sierra agents, you know, they're not just behind their desks. They're going and living and breathing and doing all sorts of different things. And they're um, keeping the... Yeah, they're keeping their eyes open. We've seen that in the construction mm -hmm. industry. Yeah. We've seen them notice sort of vehicles mm -hmm. that advertise certain things and go to different parts of the country mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. you shouldn't be advertising there. So anyways, a lot of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to the next topic. I actually want to talk about the giggling bouncer again. But because you're not going to let me do that, why don't we talk about bear trust arrangements and the expanded reporting rules here? So we've talked about this on Life in the Tax Line on a number of occasions. Come this spring, more trusts are going to have to file trust returns. What we have this month is a really cool letter from the Tax Executive Institutes that provide several examples about where you may have a bear trust arrangement in typical business structures and business organizations. And these could be overlooked very easily when we're thinking about uh, these expanded reporting requirements. Uh, so one example that was noted in the letter, do we have a joint venture arrangement? In that case, maybe you have a participant of the JV, the operator who's on title of the property for the benefit of the other participants. That's a bare trust arrangement. Uh, similarly, maybe in a partnership, you have a partner on title of property for the benefit of other partners. Uh, we see, see it in real estate all the time. Uh, maybe so, uh, you have a nominee corporation on title in respect of the development property, but that corporation isn't the beneficial owner. They're holding it in trust for another party. So anytime you have someone, something, some party on title of a property in which they are not the beneficial owner, you got a bear trust arrangement zeroing in on more personal issues. I see this question happen all the time. Maybe you have mom and dad on title of their kid's property because the kid wasn't able to get financing for their property without mom and dad being on title. Well, guess what? Mom and dad are holding that property in trust or a portion of that property in trust for their child. So just a couple examples there. Dig into that uh, letter for even more examples of these bear trust arrangements. 
Well, Kate, I know most of us were hoping that those moms and dads would figure that out and those kids who are untitled for their parents' homes but don't really own them until someone passes away because they were supposed to have their UHT returns filed. CRA gave them six extra months to October 31st. That's over now, but they're not really going to penalize all those people, are they? Well, the only information we got from CRA is starting November 1, we're past the penalty waiver period. So, yeah, we're going to assess penalties. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, well, that's something new to worry about. What about something we've been worried about since the dawn of time? And personal tax season is approaching. I don't know about everybody else out there, but for those of us in public accounting, there's always one or two people who come in with this brand new business they're doing, and it's going to make lots of money. But right now, I'm going to get a big loss and save a whole bunch of tax because I've got a bunch of expenses. Well... Do you really have a business, an income earning activity, a source of income, or maybe this is just a personal hobby that's got a little bit of commercial terms to it? And we saw a lot of court cases recently examining that. The courts always take pretty much the same approach. Step one, is there any reason to do this activity other than making money? Well, if not, it must be a source of income. But a lot of the times, there is a personal element. We saw a really interesting case for a fellow whose daughter was a very good singer. She'd gotten that through a message, through talent competitions. She'd even had one of the judges work with her to make a record. And he thought, I can manage her career. I'll make a fortune. So we'll just sign off on a contract that if you get signed to a record label, I get a big chunk of change, but I got to do all the promotional work and all the upfront legwork and I'll claim my deductions. Well. The court looked at that and said, given it's your daughter, it's pretty clear that there is a personal element here. Were you doing this commercially? Well, the contract looks real. That's kind of the nature of the music business, high risk. But if she makes a big high reward and I see the expenses being incurred, I also see that you hired an accountant with experience in the music industry. You're out there building up contacts in the music industry. Let me see your expenses. Oh, these are all direct costs of recording and similar issues. Yeah, this is a real legitimate business activity. Now, we've certainly seen other cases where the judge looks and goes, you've been doing this for a lot of years. What are you doing to grow your revenues, reduce your expenses? How do you track those? Uh, I don't know. Well, that doesn't sound too commercial. No deduction for you. So we got to keep an eye on these items and be aware that, to me, the question always becomes, when it turned out you weren't making money, what did you do to fix it? Mm. That's a good point to you. I want to just take a sidestep now, and I want to talk about insurable earnings for a moment. Because what we had is we had a married couple who owned a corporation that uh, operated a gas station. It had some rental. It had a bunch of little activity going on. And uh, they wanted to be earning insurable amounts so that they could collect EI. So that was the concept. Now, the rule is, first of all, if you own more than 40% of the corporation that's the employer, then your earnings are not in insurable no matter what. Uh, now, the first person owned 10%, the spouse owned 20%. So you're thinking, I'm not caught by this 40% rule. 
Well, now we had to take a look at who owned the other 70%. Originally, it was owned by a third party. Then it was transferred over to an uncle and then to their daughters and then to one daughter. And the real question was, did that other party, you know, truly own those shares? Or was it the first two, the couple that controlled them? Well, in the testimony, one of them said, we decided to put this person on title or this person on, you know, uh, became on title next. That kind of wording there. And to the court, to the judge, that indicated to them that those 10 and 20% owners actually controlled more than just the shares that they directly owned, but the shares of that other party as well. So they were over the 40% threshold each. So they both would have been uh, caught. And by meaning, when I say caught, I mean that they could not have been insur earning insurable amounts. The court also went on to say, even if that wasn't the case, even if I you know, didn't even say that, there is a second rule that can get you caught. And if you are not acting at arm's length with the corporation, uh, you cannot be earning insurable amounts. Now, what happens is if somebody is related to the corporation, and this could happen when you've got a family who each owns a little bit of the corporation, um, even though they have smaller share percentages, if you're considered to be related to the corporation, you're deemed to be non-arms linked to the corporation, meaning no insurable amounts. There is one exception to that rule though, and that exception is if the contract that you have is similar to what an arms length party would have signed and not just the con a contract, but you actually have to be following the contract. If that is similar to what an arm's length party would have been doing, then yeah, your earnings are insurable. Now, in this case here, those two individuals delayed payment or delayed receipt of payment. Uh, they uh, they took less than you would normally expect somebody to be, to be earning in those situations. And there was a number of things that demonstrated that it wasn't an arm's length relationship. So they were caught not earning insurable amounts, um, completely out of luck. Mm -hmm. Final item here just want to mention a quick pop uh, just a heads up maybe you have a rental property a triplex uh, and you want to convert maybe one of the units on that property to a personal use property uh, and you do convert it to that personal from rental to uh, personal property that's a deemed disposition of that portion of the property very likely uh, there can be tax consequences income capital gains on that uh, so we've ranked uh, a reference in the show notes to talk about some of those tax implications on those deemed dispositions. That's all for this month. The Video Tax News team has been providing Canadian accounting professionals with practical tax information for over 40 years. Subscribe to one of our tax newsletters or join us as we present live and pre-recorded seminars relating to both personal and corporate tax. For more information, go to videotax.com. The preceding information is for general information purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts or circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more information, go to videotax.com slash disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News, Inc. 2023. All rights reserved.